And we are back with an all new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison the third. I'm Louis Fertel, and when you said we are back, this time you actually meant it. I meant, we. I meant we. Because I'm here, Gail King, <laughs> fresh <laughs> off my Meg the Stallion interview, still shaking. Hello, back at five. <laughs> Hi guys, it's me, Aida, I'm here. Hello, I missed you so dearly, and I'm happy to talk shit again. I'm so excited that you are back, if only because, um... The DMs I get from people, um, who are like, um, no, they're, they're not wondering where you are anymore. They want to replace you. I know. They're like, girl, we need somebody. We need somebody there at the very least. So with consistency, it's like when mama keep bringing new boyfriends around and it's like, I don't care which one. I just want a father. Mm, don't drag my Scorpio mother like that. <laughs> Since you just brought up Gail King, when I think of Gail King still years ago, I friended music mogul David Geffen on Facebook just to see if I could. Mm -hmm. And then he accepted, which is already mind blowing. And then I was like, well, it must not be him. Mm. And then the first thing I see is a picture he's posted from his yacht in like Vanuatu or wherever he lives on that giant boat. <laughs> and he his his friends on the boat that day are Paul McCartney and whoever his wife is at the time. Oprah and Gail, which I did not know they went on like yachts together. Anyway, it's always on my mind. And then like a couple of other famous people, but just, wow, Gail and Oprah really staycation together. See, I this, is the, this is the private lesbian relationship I want to hear about. This is the memoir I need. Yeah. This is the Whitney Houston girlfriend, secret girlfriend story I want to hear so about. So this is, this has brought up three things for me. One, Lewis, I would completely expect you to be a David Geffen yacht gay. Wouldn't shock Does it me. not fit Wouldn't me? shock me I get... if I saw you on the background of a photo. No. I, b b by the way, how many fucking schooners have I been on? Zero. No <laughs> invitations. <laughs> Two, that Facebook story reminds me, I don't know if I ever even mentioned it on here. One time, I think it was with like Mariah was working with, um, like Billy Eichner doing like shit with him. Uh, oh, yeah. I like commented on a thing and like Billy like responded to me because we're friends with Billy. And then Mariah followed me on instagram mariah carey hmm. followed me on instagram hmm? must have realized her error <laughs> because when i went to her page she was no longer following me um, wow but you could still see the notification like on the right, page right. that like mariah carey has followed you so i did screenshot that and um that that is um that is even better than being followed by Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey accidentally following me on Instagram the and then and being dump. like, who is this nigga? <laughs> right. And then and instilling fear in Mariah Carey, yeah. I yeah. believe you did. She backed away from that mistake faster than Loverboy. Yeah. Wait, pause. Uh, I do want to say, so if you're a yacht with David Geffen gay and what, like, what's your, what are you, Ira? Cause I would say I'm like a catamaran with Wanda Sykes gay. Mm. Well, <laughs> so I what mean, are you? we're going to talk about Janelle Monet and genderqueer celebs, you know, mm -hmm. today. And, um, I think I I'm like, I'm like, I, I miss you your segues, oh. <laughs> girl. <laughs> well, I'm like, I feel like since maybe it doesn't count since I like actually have been there, you know, but like, I feel like I'm a kiki at Janelle Monet's like house, like in the hills gay. You know, mm, like okay. a black, a black queer celeb, you on know, land, but what, but what, so yeah, what, mm -hmm. without a vendetta against me, like Karamo. So. <laughs> got you, got you, yeah. got you. Okay. Yeah. Who apparently that. has a talk show that just sold in like 90% of the U.S. or something. Good for her. 
Um, mm-hmm. Well, hey, Janelle has a pool. Yeah, Janelle has that pool. Yeah. I did come at the very end of that everyday people party. I did. Well, sneak that's my well, that's well, that's in. the party I missed you at, bitch. Always I missing know. in my life is your theme. The, <laughs> the only time I was ever outside. The only time so, Aida was ever outside, I was. Mm. She was like, "Wait, you left already?" I was like, "You know what? Mm-hmm. I had a birthday party to go to." Yeah, another plane, another bus, another thing, another thing. <laughs> uh, my third comment was just going to be that, um, has Gail replaced Oprah? The Who's Megan Oprah? The Stallion interview, right? Oh. Like the mm-hmm. Megan Thee Stallion interview with Gail. I feel like I was recently talking with people about Wendy Williams, um, and sort of like her place in culture. And we don't really talk about her and Oprah in like the same breath, even though they sort of like, are running the like the like the daytime game for like black women, right? But like mm-hmm. I think it's because Oprah only now does like Harry and Meghan, you know. Like I think like mm-hmm. it's Gail, the one who like people go to for that chat because I feel like Meghan the Stallion would have been on Oprah back in the day. I feel like Gail has assumed the position of doing the like kind of hard hitting revelatory interviews, mm-hmm. like the one that we I, my my first time really clocking her as that position as a more journalistic expression was with R. Kelly. R. Kelly, and, Robert, um, Robert, yeah. Robert. <laughs> Something Robert. shifted in that moment. I think Oprah has kind of gone into her spiritual little bag where it's more so, Meg. How do you feel about getting shot in the foot? And Gail's like, Girl, what happened? <laughs> you know. Also, I just want to say, Ira, you did a brief Oprah impression right there and it sounded to me like Deborah Wilson's impression of Oprah which I am I miss desperately I think we need it again Deborah Wilson come back to us we have so much to get to in this episode and Miss Aida is back but also back for the last time back for the technically 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 last last time time. technically last time this is like the formal we're wrapping it up so you guys understand that I've been doing a bunch of other things and I'm first of all Everything. I love you guys so you much. are booked a lot. and busy. I, when people, when people try to act like, where's she at? I'm like, you, you, do you not see that she's on set? Yeah, y'all know. Y'all know where I'm, I'm like, at. <laughs> and I think, but you know, I was reflecting on this as, without crying as much as I could. Oh, the little cancer girl. I owe everything that's happening in my career to keep it. And to the things that you know, we that. talked about. No, listen, girl, listen. <laughs> let me make my little argument. Okay, let me get through it. I have a proof. I have a whole proof I've done. Because the only reason I even started working at Big Mouth and started writing for television shows was because comedians saw me going up in Los Angeles. The only reason I was in Los Angeles was to be working at Keep It and to work at Crooked. So I do think it was the it was an inception point for me of learning that I, I could be an entertainer in all different types of ways. And it's very fulfilling, very fulfilling. I... Everything that we've done, I, I, just let me. Oh, oh, this girl. <laughs> Every interview has been a re- like a an opportunity to connect with some of my favorite people in Hollywood. It's been a chance to meet with life changing women. I, my, our interviews with Gabrielle Union and Drew Dixon have been pivotal for me oh, in mm, understanding who I am as a person, as a black woman, as a non binary person in in the industry. So. Girl, I met Issa Rae on this podcast. <laughs> like this. True. You know what? Well, to be fair, to be fair, her, cam- her camera was off. 
Yeah, she met me. <laughs> she was wedding. She, she was wedding planning. Bucket. She was wedding planning that day already, probably. Um, mm-hmm. Tried on Buying dresses. Wa- tried on dresses while zooming with us. <laughs> that's, a, that's from what I've learned about her. She is the person to do fifteen things at once. So that's probably accurate. Uh, well, I really appreciate that. If you gave a mouse a cookie, trail back to keep it that you gave us. Uh, but but also, I mean, Jesus Christ! Like Ira and I always talk about this. Like we. we the minute you came on, we knew you were going to blow up and do 55,000 other things. So the fact that it's happening now, it's like, well, if it wasn't now, is it going to be a month from now or two years ago or whenever? It's happening yeah. now, and we couldn't be more thrilled for you. Yeah, yeah and I want you. everyone in the, thank you so I want everyone in the audience to know, too, that this is purely just scheduling issues. If I could be here every single week, I would be here. But learning how to balance <laughs> acting and writing and <laughs> You know, potentially producing and working on projects like that. It's been, it's been so difficult, especially at my young, dumb age. <laughs> so I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning how to be a person. I'm learning how to keep, um, existing in this career. And I thank you guys for giving me that space and still. Of course, you know, and keep you know. it going. <laughs> there you are. Uh, and of course, you know, we'll have you back whenever you are free. Uh, when you have to promote rap shit. Uh, and not an interview. Not yeah, an interview. The, the interview. <laughs> oh okay? wow! The I'm interview. so excited for that. Um, <laughs> we'll see who's Gail King now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, listen, Lewis don't know I'm going to make him interview me when my book comes out. I will be the oh, guest. I can't wait. Maybe well, I'll have well, to come I, back for that one. I might be out of the one. country that day. I might be. I might be dead that day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't make, Ill. Don't I can't make wait me for just host the show too. like I'm Mark Marin. <laughs> oh, right. Both or like interview gone. yourself a la Joe Calderon yeah. and Lady Gaga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's giving Donald Glover in the recent interview piece. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. yes. Wait, I was just, I couldn't think of who it was. It was mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's an Ira moment for sure. Are you, are you afraid of, shepherding. are you afraid of black women, Ira? <sighs> well, um, <laughs> I'm afraid of my mother. <laughs> she she used to own a gun, <laughs> so maybe I am afraid of black. Women. I do think I'm afraid of my mother would be an amazing film noir. I'm so. afraid of my mother. Yeah, mm. yeah. All shadows. All right, all right. I'll get to work. Casey on Lemons that. need a new movie anyway. <laughs> <laughs> And, and also, I was so, I didn't realize I took it for granted at the time, but, but, you know, with rap shit occupying a lot of my time last year and even now, uh, the, keep it was the only reason I could actually process and meditate on what the fuck was going on around us. Like it had become this place for me to make jokes and stay abreast and, abreast, haha. Okay. And, you know, <laughs> really just talk to very, very smart people. The two of you are so intelligent and that is namely why people come back and keep listening. And you're so funny. And I learned so much from the two of you and I know we'll continue to keep learning. So again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And don't expect me to be funny anymore. I'm a serious actress now. <laughs> say, well, here comes, uh, yeah, Marianne Cotillard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, and you know what was also interesting too is I saw recently and listened to the podcast where you guys had Judith Light on and Cheryl mm. Lee Ralph. And I just had gotten back from filming a movie with the two of them. And when I tell you I've not, it's like, the hyperbolic time chamber of information I learned from just one moment with Cheryl Lee Ralph. I became a, f- I'm a sound woman now. <laughs> no, the full circle moment we had was Judith Light recommended the work of, 
some author, I think. And mm-hmm. then seconds later, I and I realized, oh, you were working with that woman. Mm-hmm. So it was like it was like you had jumped the time, the keep it time space continuum into pop culture. Absolutely wild. Guys, I feel often like a weird fly on the wall that is critiquing and learning, but also trying to do the thing that I've been saying that, you know, uh, Zendaya can't do that well for so long. Like now I'm trying to figure it out and I'm like, damn, I was wrong. I was wrong. It was safer for me to be offset. And, um, it's, 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 it's very actualizing and it's been hard and I'm excited to keep learning and keep growing. It's, it's strange to have seen Kiersey Clemens in 2015 in the dope movie and go, wow, you can be a feminine woman and look like that. And then in 2022, I'm in a film with her and I play her best friend and I get to have those conversations with her about how to comport yourself as a young black woman on sets and as a number one or even as a number five or whatever your position is on the call sheet. So it was cool. Guys, it's really cool. I'm living life and I'm very happy right now. I love it. If if this is ER, you're you're our George Clooney. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm Sherry Stringfield over here. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Can someone get me? I'm still dealing with my sister, Chloe. (laughs) I just hope I'm Juliana Margulies. I mean, can't you, can't you, can't you, can't you see me in a long running beef with someone on a network TV drama? And then we don't even Green shoot our final scene together. Yeah. <laughs> That's my journey. <laughs> that really is among the most unparalleled pop culture moments. I just, I cannot think of anything else like that. Uh, that anyway, we can unpack that another day. Love Juliana, of course, okay. and her many SAG awards. I mean, if we were Hollywood unlocked, if we were Jason Lee, we would have asked her about it. <laughs> right. Damn it. No. We suck. Uh, all right. Well, let's get to this episode. Yes. We're going to get into, like I said, Janelle Monet, um, the genderqueer celebs of our time. Um, yeah. we're going to get into us being in Elon Musk's America. Welcome. It's uh, hell here. And I have selling sunset opinions. Our favorite white people. And Lewis is going to talk about some shit from the seventies as usual. That's where I live. The gang's all here. (laughs) (laughs) And not just us. uh, We will also be joined today by uh, Miss Sally Draper herself, Miss Sabrina Spellman, the one and only Kiernan Shipka is on Keep It this week. So we will be right back with more of the show. In the season five premiere of Facebook Watches Red Table Talk, Grammy-nominated singer and actor Janelle Monet stopped by to chat with host Jada Pinkett Smith, Willow Smith, and friend of Keep It, Gammy. During their yes. chat. <laughs> friend of us, personally. <laughs> uh, I still have Gammy blocked from my Instagram stories. Do you? You have to. Gammy don't, Gammy don't need to see what I be posting about, but I still want that connection. I want that motherly <laughs> figure in my life. Uh, surprisingly, during the chat, um, they did not talk about the Oscars. So we're still waiting for that. We're still waiting for that. Um, Red Table Talk episode. But, uh, in this one, Janelle Monet said that they now identify as non-binary. Uh, mm-hmm. the official quote, I'm non-binary, so I don't see myself as a woman solely. I feel all of my energy. I feel like God is so much bigger than he or the she. 
and I, and if I am from God, I am everything, but I will always stand with women. I will always stand with black women. I just see everything that I am beyond the binary. And so I believe Janelle Monet now goes as they slash she. Um, I have always considered Janelle Monet to be an actual computer. Sure. So no, do, I would say, do those not sound like just lyrics to a Janelle Monae song? Yes, like like straight in a row. It could be that's like is that Django? Is Jane? that I don't an, know. Is that an Octavia Butler essay that she just read to us? I think what was funny about this was, girl, we knew, girl, we knew from the moment you stomped out in 2010 and dressed like a stylish penguin, okay, in that tightrope video. You chose Big Boy as a feature. We knew you wasn't with the girls exclusively. But no, she's a, she's very a combination of Bugs Bunny in a suit and Bugs Bunny dressed as a woman. That's her whole Period. range of fashion. Yeah. Period. But I'm so happy that she verbalized it and gave gave it to us. And then also is using pronouns that are non-binary leaning, which of course there's no like inherent worth to being like I'm she they. Uh, but it's even pivotal that she comes out as they she. You know. Mm-hmm. There's something about coming out as non-binary now that reminds me of the old days of coming out as just gay which is to say i almost I, i'm not afraid for them but it's like it's like you almost have to explain yourself to people in, in a way that you once had to do in like the early like what does it mean that you're gay who do you hang out with like do you, <laughs> you do have to see whatever and now non-binary is let me read you the dictionary definition yeah. of what non-binary is so that you understand what it is i'm doing who i am whatever and something she uh, probably also had to do in 2018 when she came out as pansexual and mm. I, I, I felt that way coming out. Cause for those of us who felt outside of the binary, we always were like, there's this nagging lack of attachment to my gender. I don't know how to address it, but I need somebody to give me the language for it. And once you hear non by the concept of being non-binary for the first time, it's like, Oh, Oh, that's what this is, you know, but it does come with a certain set of like, you're frontiering a new path. You have to explain what this means. Mm-hmm. Baby, when Janelle came out as pansexual in 2018, I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember everyone being in a state of flux, aeon flux, if you will. Um, <laughs> uh, Director Karen Kusama. Yes. yes. Um, because they were like, what is this word? Right. My first introduction to the word pansexual was one of those like, um, true life. I'm in love with my car, like something like mm. that, where this man was like, well, I'm pansexual. I like to have sex with my vehicle. And I was like, that's, see, that's not me. That's not me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That can't be that. And then <laughs> Stephen so, King actually got me into wanting to fuck my car. Um, Christine, oh, sure. Christine mm-hmm. is the most erotic film I've ever seen. And that's oh, fair. Yeah. That's your life. And I, I, I lift up your truth, Ira. <laughs> I actually want to say that people don't fuck cars enough in movies. Like, remember the counselor? Oh, girl. Cameron Diaz <laughs> right. just grudging her pussy on that windshield. Mm-hmm. And also, was there not a moment when we thought she would be nominated for an Oscar for The Counselor? It's like, guys, let's look back at the, the history of the Oscars. Do you see much car fucking in there? I don't see Jessica Tandy on top of her Trans Am or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> There's a moment when we thought The Counselor was going to be a good movie, too. That's true. True enough. Sure enough. <laughs> and then it just turned into be pussy on a hard body. <laughs> <laughs> But we're here. It feels good, like, to have a dark-skinned black person say that they're bi- they're non-binary. Like, it feels in a way that we as a people have kind of arrived. Because for mm-hmm. what it's worth, Sam Smith, Demi Lovato, you know, Amanda Stenberg. It, I'm so happy that they were the people that kind of paved it, paved the road in a public way. But it has never 
for me at least, equaled the amount of artistic work that Janelle has done, like living a non-binary lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that is that is the thing for me, too, you know, because whenever I hear um, a non-binary person discuss, you know, sort of like the fullness of, you know, like being themselves, you know, and like be, being able to just sort of be like, um, like in this speech, you know, like if God, um, you know, made me, then, you know, like if God is so much bigger than um, he or she, you know, then like we're everything, you know? And so then, you know, it, it honestly gets to, it gets to that weird point where you start to feel like, well, damn, like, should I be? But then I feel mm-hmm. like I, I definitely don't live to the full uh, potential of my life. So maybe I never will be. <laughs> mm. Well, I grim. Yeah. But you know what? The fact that that's the I wake up and I just don't right want to do it all. Okay. I don't want to be everything. There's, yeah, maybe next lifetime. Maybe next lifetime. <laughs> Badu's with you. Take your time with it. I'm interested in the shift that's happening in culture where people are taking steps to radically free themselves. And what's interesting too is that sometimes being non binary isn't necessarily like a identity decision as much as it could be like 80% a political one mm-hmm. where you are rejecting the the binary as a whole and you want to be that you want to represent and exhibit that, that kind of transcendence. And I feel that coming through in Janelle Monet's explanation of it. Mm-hmm. A girl was a computer. She half human, half computer. Like, like you said, she's been pushing this non binary thing for a while. Right. Like she, 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 she came out. Like she came on this bitch, like you know, like cyborg as hell. So mm-hmm. yeah, and the Arc Android. I mean, you know, and Jane, like all the computer shit from the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, no, I think she's gonna pull a Grace Jones soon, and in her song, she will actually identify as a sexual car, warm leatherette, <laughs> pull up to the bumper, etc. That mm-hmm. fits for her. <laughs> there's another car song that she did uh it comes up frequently in her work anyway mm, mm. Wh- now wait uh, speaking of this isn't a this isn't about non-binary black celebs fuck but did you yeah, see okay good <laughs> did you see rathaniel by gerard carmichael the stand-up special where he comes out and sort of just sits in it like it's not about and here are the conclusions I came to. It's I haven't come to the conclusions yet. I was wondering what you guys thought of it. Well, to be fair, he was sitting during the entire yeah. thing, so he could do nothing <laughs> A but sit down comedy. It. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> That's how you know you're getting some information. Well, watching the special was really relieving for me because. I did run into Gerard at a party a couple years ago and I tried to hit on him and I was met with zero response except for mm. I like your shirt. And I should have known at that moment because I was wearing an Aaliyah shirt. Mm. <laughs> should have known <laughs> right there that that boy wasn't swinging on my side. You you weren't rocking that boat, <laughs> if you will. It, you and don't also, live in you know, LA like, if you don't have a friend who had matched with Gerard Carmichael on Raya in the past few years. Okay. Like, like the girls <laughs> knew. Um, right. The girls do, and it's it's and, uh, it's that it's it's weird, right? Because I feel like growing up, when you would sort of like quote unquote know a celebrity is gay, right? It was always just mm-hmm. sort of like that whisper network, and and then there's the weird disconnect yeah. of being in LA and like sort of knowing that someone is gay, but like not actually knowing if like they've ever come out in their like public sphere. So you just sort of don't talk about it, mm-hmm. right? And it's this understood thing like, oh, I get access to that because I occasionally go to that bar where he would be. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, I guess some of those people then run around and tell something like Dumois, but, um, yeah. you know, the rest of us, you know, dignified boulevardiers of the world kept it to ourselves. I loved the special. I thought it was, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was so funny. Uh, I will say though, um, it is intriguing that he is sort of one of the only people who could do this. And that is because he is a black man. I don't think that anyone else could really use a comedy special to come out like that and have it be a thing. Because I feel like, first of all, if you're a cis man uh, and you are a comedian, like so much of comedy and like the response to it now with a lot of queer comedians, you know, and female comedians uh, is sort of like this response to what's been sort of like a cis heteronormative um, comedic space for so long. And I feel like if a white man were like, I'm coming out as gay, but it had like this sort of um, history, like, like a John Mulaney, right? If John Mulaney came mm-hmm. out as gay now, people would be mm. sort of like, excuse me? Or or they'd feel some type of way about it, you know, was sort of like, why weren't you telling us, like, you've had a whole TV show where you were straight, you know, you've had so many comedy specials, et cetera, right? I, I feel like part of the impact of this is still couched in people's perception that it is harder to be black and gay within a black community. Do you get that, Aida? I think, I think I, I totally understand what you're saying. I do think though, to like your John Mulaney thing, that it wouldn't, it would be part that, why, like, why didn't you tell us before? I, I wish that you had been at that stage in your life, but mm-hmm. also it would just feel like self masturbatory. I don't know why. Yes, it would feel but- sort of self masturbatory, but for, for this, for Gerard, I feel like maybe it's just also the way people were responding to it. I felt like a lot of mm-hmm. the responses were a lot of like, Oh, we're glad that this black person, you know, can overcome like the homophobia, like within his community and family to be able to and come to the out. untrained eye to the untrained eye. Like Gerard is a mask presenting straight presenting person. So mm-hmm. for him to do it for me, I think the, the people like that, of course, Lil Nas X has done his work, but people like that, it, that's when I think again, like with Janelle Monet, like we've arrived, we've gotten mm-hmm. to the place where I feel like there's a level of equilibrium and equality and anybody looking like anything can start to speak their truth. And I think what was beautiful about it too, was that in the special, like you were saying, Lewis, he's in a place of ambivalence about it. He's in a place where it's created turmoil in his family. It's created mm-hmm. turmoil with his mother. And now we get to kind of watch that unfold as he, as he recreates his identity. And like the, the moment I knew the moment I knew that this was really transformative for queer culture and for us was him hosting SNL. And you see now he's dressing himself differently. He's presenting jokes. Differently. He looks great. He, is, he, he looks great. sexy yeah. as hell. Baby, the but queer is, glow up is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what's beautiful is he is uncomfortable being comfortable. Yes. As somebody who has been a diehard <laughs> fan of Gerard Carmichael for years now, he's one of the main reasons I decided I wanted to do stand up. Like I saw this guy who was pensive and kind of, you know, apathetic, but still cool and black. And I was like, you know what? I see myself in this person and I could do this, too. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I do hold him very dear to me now. It- it is a lot in the way that we grow up, you know, and like just sort of like how we're conditioned. And it, it, it is sort of like very free, like see, you know, like celebrities sort of come out and sort of like explain their truth to us. Cause I feel like, you know, that's, that's sort of how I felt as a kid seeing 
celebs come out as gay, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now this is a new thing where, you know, it's like, it's helping younger people definitely, but I feel like, you know, maybe it's even helping people our age too, try and figure out who they are. Sure. What's interesting, it's like, it's not even the same thing, but it's like, um, I saw a fantastic stand-up show, uh, last night in New York, um, Alex Edelman's show. Um, just for I us. Love Alex I love Alex Edelman. He is so sweet and like so fucking funny. And when I saw his show, his show, um, is basically about the time that he went to sort of like a white supremacist meeting, um, you know, of like anti-Semites, like to, to as find out does. what it was about. Yeah. Right. As one does. Uh, and him acknowledging the privilege of him being able to do that. Uh, it's like, it's a white, like presenting like a Jew, Jewish person, like who's like white, you know? Um, but what's interesting too is like when he talks about like, you know, like being like religion and growing up in the, in this standup special, he's like, you know, like, in, in like if a different religion or like a different time, like maybe I'd identify as um bisexual, you know, but he's like, but there's a joke where he says like now, you know, I identify as straight, but he's like, I grew up in Boston. Um, so I would identify as straight with a couple of secrets. <laughs> Which is such a funny also, joke, but also like another thing in that realm of sort of like expressing fully like who you are as a person but who's able to do that based on their upbringing and what community they're in i would say what what, uh i think something about this special that's particular and i think speaks to what you were saying about why only a a black man could deliver it is it is very specifically melancholy by and by that i mean like like i can't think of another comedy special even like um nanette you come in and that's a pretty raucous atmosphere Mm -hmm. you know like like she's going for broad jokes initially but the vibe of this is very um we're sitting like there's jazz music playing bo burnham directed it it's this very like kind of lush looking Mm -hmm. um special and it starts with some jokes that are mostly pop cultural which is really how you could tell he's gay um (laughs) because they were all like and ending on and this lady which I, i understand of course um but the fact that it then moved into a space of just I'm sitting here and I think the audience is mostly black and it turns into kind of a conversation between the two of them too. Mm-hmm. It made his coming out feel sort of like, um, intramural. Like, you know, it's like, here <laughs> I am just talking with, uh, uh, other black, black people talking about my family too. So it was interesting how he kind of couched the coming out in his upbringing and, what to do with it now that he lives around, up and around these people in, I guess, New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just, it, it, it was a one of a kind experience. But I will say, if you want to hear him be hilarious, I would recommend honestly rewatching the SNL monologue that I it's thought so he nailed about It's so fucking funny. It's so fucking funny. And that was so of the moment too. Like I almost feel bad in a way that that the, the comedy of that moment may dissipate because it's about just the Will Smith thing. So you might think, oh, this is dated now or something. It's still so funny. Yeah, it was, it was so like, funny. And he was like obligated to address that too. Yeah. And I think he yeah, only right, had like right. jokes about it at the that. end. And it like was mm-hmm. one of the best jokes we'd heard about it too. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I also There's, do want to touch on the fact that Bo Burnham did direct this and if there's one person who does melancholy and like comedy well oh, yeah. it is him because mm-hmm. I mean like the last I feel like one of the last fucking specials I saw that like rocked me was like Bo Burnham's uh, Inside Bo Burnham like his pandemic comedy special yeah yeah which again I think too with Bo Burnham is Bo Burnham is helping to shift what the structure of a stand-up special can be and what the medium can give to audience members and you know I do still have some critiques of the special as a whole uh, I I didn't like the jokes. I didn't like most of the jokes. I felt like they were, but this is not without intention. I do feel he was trying to make it 
like we're in the living room with him and he's just telling us a story about yeah. his life. But as somebody who appreciates like pithy, sharp, clever writing, I didn't mm. receive that from Gerard, which is kind of something I'd been accustomed to as a listener from right. his first special Love at the Store and his HBO special eight. Um, Those are so funny. The SNL, they are. the SNL monologue is so funny and it's great that it came like the same weekend as Rob Manuel because yeah, it wasn't mm-hmm. funny and it's sort of, it's, it's funny how like when, when there were the critiques of like the net where it's like, um, oh, it wasn't funny. Um, then it's just getting into this like, you know, like, um, misery porn at the end, you know? I'm like, yeah, it starts out with jokes. Like you called it raucous like a few minutes ago, Louis. Like it starts out with like the jokes and like pithy and like, like I'm doing stand up jokes, right? And there was a moment where it shifted from like the pop culture takes of the day to I'm just telling a story and it felt more like story time. Uh, which or storytelling, which, you know, is a form of like, you know, like stand up and comedy, but it didn't feel like a comedy special. Uh, I would also t- say to Aida's point, I think what happens in the special is he basically sort of gives up on overly explaining himself and like mm-hmm. because the audience starts interacting. And I actually think if he filled that with more material, it would have been more effective because I think we were supposed to sort of like stew in the like in the pensiveness. And I think we did that for maybe a few beats too long. That's what I would say about that. Yeah. And I'm like very sensitive to kind of gratuitous looking off and looking at the camera and mm-hmm. taking a, little, a moment to yeah, pause. It was kind of performed earnestness yeah. eventually. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was but, a little self-indulgent but, towards the end, which also makes sense though with the direction, because like as much as I loved inside, there were certain points at the end of like inside where I was sort of like, Bo Burnham, it's actually time for you to wrap this up because I get yeah, it. Yeah, girl. Like, like, like I get it. You're trapped in your, you're trapped in your apartment. We all are. Me too, bitch. I'm a hermit too, bitch. <laughs> chop, chop. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, as like someone like me who instead of like hating things or being irritated by the performative nature, I'm going to try and make it about what it feels like to come out as a gay person. Yeah. Like maybe those mm-hmm. moments of, of forced earnestness is like me trying to get you to understand like how serious this feels, but isn't how colloquial this needs to be for you to understand. That's why I'm going to just make jokes like you're sitting with me and I just thought of them right now rather than Mm -hmm. have this feel like a packaged thing that I'm giving you. It's just my truth. It's my life. Of course. I mean, and I think if anything, you know, like something like that from like a black man too, you know, seeing that um, it's just been, you know, like it felt very much needed. Um, you know, um, it felt yeah. very much like something that I connected to and it just sort of, I don't know, it makes you want to be more honest in your own like comedy and truth telling and stories, you know? Uh, really? You can For me, it makes me want to take it all back so I can have my own special coming out as non-binary and pansexual. <laughs> I fucked up. I gave it to the girls too quickly. <laughs> now I have nothing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, let me burn some of these podcast episodes so I can, you know, like, come come out in this book, be a bit more truthful, be like, exactly. can I, can I, can I go in? Can I go? A lot of actors have done that. Like, can Nobody I go back? Can I go? Can I go? Can I? Can I shift the straight for a bit? It's safe in that bitch. The closet is cozy and dark and warm. <laughs> okay, I would like to use my last episode of Keep It to formally say I am no longer non-binary. Janelle Monae oh. went in. I am coming out. Okay. The other way. Okay. It's one in, one out. Yes. Okay. That's the policy. Yep. Okay. That's how we yes. keep it fresh. Yes. You, you're like, you don't, none of that computer shit for you. You are a manila yes. folder. Catch me in a couple <laughs> years. I'll be Elliot Paging, girl. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we are back. Uh, Lewis and I sit down with, uh, Kiernan Shipka, uh, to discuss her latest series, Swimming with Sharks. And after that, 
It's Keep It. You'll know her from Mad Men, the title role in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and now as the star of Roku's new series, Swimming with Sharks, please welcome Kiernan Shipka to Keep It. Hello, Keep It. Hi. It's so nice to have you here. So good to be here. I'm so excited. Unfortunately, I can never get enough of Hollywood is a horrible, wretched place stories. So I, I know, uh, I signed, I, I, I logged in and the first words of this show are in Hollywood. I was like, I'm in, <laughs> here we go. In Hollywood, ellipses. Yes. Let's go. Let's go. Let's ride. So, no, I mean, in, in this story, it occurred to me, you are basically, have been fully indoctrinated with Hollywood your entire life. And this story is this about is basically being acquainted for the first time with the horrors mm-hmm. of how Hollywood works. So I was wondering how much do you relate to this story and, or do you at all? I sort of was tapping into maybe the idea of Hollywood I had when I was six years old. Mm. And I got, I got acquainted with, with a town in a way that was uh, quite gentle and nice. And obviously I had a very, a lucky and wonderful experience, but I didn't necessarily relate. I didn't relate to the, to the character's uh, uh, position in, in Hollywood, but I did sort of tap into, I think that's sort of there, there, there is um, an allure to Los Angeles and Hollywood that I feel kind of never goes away or dies. I don't know. I, I, I've lived there for a very long time and I still find myself quite enchanted by it from, from time to time. So, so it was, it was like stepping into definitely very different shoes, but, but I could really grasp sort of the idea of being intoxicated by, by that town. And we filmed it in LA too, which was nice. Mm -hmm. It helped. It was nice that it wasn't, and you know, if uh, I, I, Love a Vancouver moment, but, but it wouldn't have been the same. It just wouldn't have translated the same kind of way. I I truly <laughs> love um shows set in LA that are filmed elsewhere because it's truly the funniest <laughs> so phenomenon good. to me. Uh it's really it's really funny. But um speaking of intoxicating, tell us everything there is to know about Diane Kruger. Yeah, just Diane list it Kruger, all. Guys, she's so fun. It's so funny because I'd never met her before and she was very good friends with January Jones and is very good friends with January Jones. So I felt like we had a point person, which made it easier for me to sort of go in. The thing that made it very easy is that my character is supposed to be in love and obsessed with her. So, and kind of watches her from afar. She is, she's so chill. That's the thing. I mean, just seeing her kind of order like a sweet green for lunch, it's just effortless. Like there's certain <laughs> things that she does that are just effortless. And she's also just an ice queen in this too. And she's so, but she's very warm. She's very warm and very sweet. We I'm had a great time. I'm getting vibes of, uh, uh, I remember Rooney Mara giving interviews about, uh, Kate Blanchett and Carol, and she said, it was my job to be in love with her, and it turns out that's really easy to do. You know, it's like, well, mission accomplished. She's amazing. Yes. My job was made so easy. Um, My job was made so easy. 
it's funny you bring up too. I mean, like her friendship with January Jones, and it's like when I think about Mad Men, which was one of, still is one of my favorite fucking TV shows. Uh, it's so interesting thinking about just like that seven years that that show's on the air, and then sort of like everyone's lies after it and like how have you um have you been like abused by i guess like january has become like one of the best people on instagram since mad men and it's it is like shocking to me that that just sort of like shifted and happened at one point well the funny thing about mad men was that instagram wasn't really a thing until maybe the last season people weren't that wasn't that wasn't sort of, I mean, I mean, maybe I got Instagram in 2013, but it didn't mm-hmm. really feel like everyone was sort of on it. It wasn't sort of a part of things. And, and that, and then January got it the last year, I remember. And that's when, I mean, and she really, she became something, something else in the culture after just because of the, I mean, I think she's so iconic on there. It's, I mean, well, she's so funny and sort of like acerbic online. And I'm just sort of like, was she like sort of just always like that on set? And what was it like, I guess, like playing her daughter and then growing up from being a kid to then being like a teenager, like working with her? I always looked up to her. She was she was the my number one fashion icon growing up. I wanted to be January Jones. I I would I would buy the Ugg boots that she showed up to set in i would i i would idolize her i would i would every paparazzi photo that was ever taken i would look at i would dissect the outfit i would i she was like it was just so fun for me to watch her show up to set every day and she's also so kind and so lovely and then as we as i got older and and our friendship became more mature i just think she's wonderful but she was truly to me icon legend the my my idol. I, you just put into perspective a moment I totally forgot about, which is around 2013. Like I, I, I think I probably got Instagram around the same time too. I remember mm-hmm. January Jones was the only celebrity I followed for a while. I was like, Oh, she yeah. reveals a whole new part of herself on Instagram. Oh, she's like very sarcastic or funny or whatever. And I didn't realize like, Oh, this is really expanding people's brands. Well, yeah, because especially with something like Mad Men, the writing was obviously so excellent and it was such a, and when it went on for such a long time, people really felt like we were our characters. I mean, I would walk around, I would, I would be six, seven, eight and have people come up to me and be like, your mom is horrible. Like, <laughs> oh, your dad is so hot. And I would just kind of, I mean, you kind of just get used to it, but people really, and people would scoff at January on the street. I mean, people would <laughs> not be able to differentiate us between our characters and um, ourselves. And I think that Instagram actually really helps in that sort of one way uh which which is which is a which is a pro for sure mm-hmm. i mean i guess what are sort of some like lasting memories or just sort of um sorry what are your sort of takeaways i guess from being on a tv show where you essentially grew up on it uh mm-hmm. you know it was sort of like your you're like coming of age like if someone wrote a coming of age movie or story about you it'd be like you being on mad men yeah, I I think about it all the time. I think that I I I I thought that maybe when I rapped and time went on, I would think about it less, but I actually find myself thinking about it more because those were my formative years and it's very interesting playing someone from 
from the age of six to 15. I mean, all the massive, so much massive stuff happens. And my character was, she was doing everything before I was. I mean, I got my TV period before my real period <laughs> and first, first TV kiss before the real one. So I felt actually like, uh, she was kind of a, she was kind of my, my trial girl. I could, I could, I could sort of figure out life in a, in a new sort of way, but it was, um, yeah, it was like parallel growing up. Which was, which was, I guess it's strange if I think about it now, but I knew no different. And the writing of the women on that show is so thoughtful. And, and I think that my, my character and every, and, and every woman on that show was, was written with such depth and complexity that it kind of gave me the hall pass to be a complex person in my own life. Like I was never scared of being dynamic, uh, because I knew that that was possible and that's what I grew up consuming. So if anything, I feel really lucky looking back because I, I just, I never really questioned myself in sort of, in sort of that way. Uh, and I could, I could talk about it forever because it's, it's my, it's my childhood and my experience, but honestly, it was so great. Everyone was fun. It was it was wonderful. Everyone was so talented. And I just, it's where I learned everything really that I, that I know about acting. I was, school. I was reacquainted recently with the fact that you played Betty Davis's daughter on, Feud, which was fabulous I to did. watch. I, I find that to be such an underrated series period, not just because of like the dynamic yeah. between June and Joan and Betty, the ancillary characters were so good. Um, Jackie Hoffman, so good. Judy oh Davis, my God. So Jackie good. Hoffman. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, Alfred was, Molina. Alfred Amaz- Molina. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. I, I, Amazing I, I, stuff in there. I, I, now, obviously you had Mad Men before that, but I was wondering, was that still, I guess, an intimidating show because everybody on that show was a legend in some way. Absolutely. It was a totally different ball game. And also when you're, when I, I, I felt, uh, it was, it was maybe a year or two. It was probably two years after Mad Men wrapped in it. And it's still a period piece. So I wanted to make sure the character I was playing wasn't like Sally or didn't feel like that. And it was something totally different. And I was playing a new, a new age and a new kind of girl. But Susan Sarandon is the coolest and made me feel very safe and loved the entire time. And I, uh, yeah, again, a, a 10 out of 10 experience. It was really fun. Such a big operation too. I mean, those, those shoot days were, were long and it felt like they had so much time to shoot a couple pages, which is just, uh, very, very much so, uh, a luxury. Is that, is that not like not Mad Men? how it goes. Well, Mad Men was, I think Mad Men we shot, it was probably a little bit more moderate on Mad Men. We had, mm. we had time. We didn't have all the time in the world, but we didn't have no time. It was, it was sort of somewhere in between. Oh yeah. Between an indie. Between Sabrina and and uh, and like a an HBO show was probably Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Sabrina, um, and you know that entire like Riverdale universe, um, what was it like playing? First of all, this iconic character, uh, and then like jumping over um to do like a spot on Riverdale too. Was it fun to like get back into the character? Um, it was and, so like, fun. And also, like, had you any idea, like, what the fuck happens on Riverdale before you'd even, like, stepped on set? Because I even well, try to explain Riverdale lot, to people. A lot happens on <laughs> Riverdale all the time. You have to really keep an ear to the streets to know what the latest and the greatest is. Because I dropped in and I needed I needed some updates. I, need, I, needed, to, I needed some updates. But 
Sabrina was great. It was so fun. I, I've never, I got my 10,000 hours in. I worked so much and I feel like I, again, I like learned so much about how I wanted to perform, uh, doing that, doing that show. It was like a playground and everyone was fun and I had fun. I love that character and I felt like, I feel like really truly I had time to find her voice, which made me, uh, very grateful because I, I love the voice that I've, that I found. And then hopping into Riverdale was so fun because I felt like I knew her and I'm going to go back again. I'm going to do it again. And I, I feel like it, it was almost like riding a, a bike when I got the Riverdale sides and I started saying them out loud. I kind of feel like, Whoa, I'm back in this, back in this body. It was, it was sensory memory kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've done a lot of period stuff too. And then you have like mm-hmm. a lot of like horror shit too, you know? So yes, I'm like, what I kind of that. stuff, what kind of stuff do you like to watch? Oh my gosh, guys, I've been watching a lot of movies lately. I like a, I like a drama. I like, I mean, I, before sunset, before midnight, but mm. that kind of like pa- painful, a- mm-hmm. aching romance drama is sort of probably my favorite, my favorite watch as of late that, that energy, that kind of normal people-y, uh, yeah. that is still painful romance is sort of, sort of what I gravitate toward when I, when I get emotionally moved by stuff. That is still one of, that is still like my cultural blind spot, by the way. The, the, the before, before trilogy. The before oh trilogy. my God. They're, it's so watchable. It. They, like you, yeah. you put in one and by like, it feels like seconds later you've watched all three. And mm. also, I mean, Ethan Hawke is fabulous. Julie Delpy in particular, like she is the one who really elevates it to this place of like, I am talking to a sophisticated person who is taking me on a journey just by being herself. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's, they're so good. They're so good. Second, the second one's my favorite. I think. Yeah, Steph. And also, I mean, God, we, do we love an 81 minute movie or whatever it is? And oh, it's just like, ends. sign me up. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. On to the next. So beautifully shot too. Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous. Cinematic. European. <laughs> That's you could right. Watch it. You could watch it on your flight, Ira. I th- well, one of the main problems, I'm going to have to actually download it because one of the problems is every time I've been on a flight, they have like the second or third film in the trilogy, um, they never have the first. Yeah. That's that's a bummer. And I feel like I can't rush about like, watch a lot of different. No. Yeah. You no. definitely do not. No, 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 no. 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 Watching those backwards. <laughs> Incorrect. Sounds normal like a bad idea. Normal people is also very good too. I have friends yeah. who have obsessively yeah. watched that a few times. Yeah. I mean I feel like you've worked with so many just sort of like actresses like like we said who are sort of like giants you know too like mm-hmm. what do you sort of what's sort of like a takeaway you've learned from like working with people like susan sarandon and like what or diane kruger like what you want to take into roles that you want to do or stuff you're interested in i think what i've what i've observed with a lot of actors that i admire is that they aren't afraid to kind of find the scene and i think as someone who tends to be a perfectionist to a fault i want to go in feeling like i've got it and being able to trust that you can get there and that almost makes it more rewarding and better is is something that i think about a lot lately like i see a lot of actresses say hey this isn't this isn't working let's let's figure this out and i kind of have a fear sometimes i find that i have a fear of of doing that because i i just want everything to 
to work. But what I've noticed is that when, when people really care about something and when they want it to, when they want to bring it to life, it's, it, it becomes a genuine collaboration. And that is something that I've sort of taken with me as I've, I've gotten older and, and put into my work is just not being afraid to ask questions and, and find something and, and not, not be scared of finding something. That's, that's actually part of the process. That's, that's, that's part of the drill. That's interesting. Does that mean you in general feel a little bit obligated to speed things along when you're making a show or like not, not ask questions, just be like, well, clearly yeah. it's written perfectly on the page. I better just say it as is. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that also comes from Mad Men is that it kind of was. So mm. not a lot of us had <laughs> to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> you know, like, 10 years of it actually being kind of perfect and everyone sort of knowing their place and, and knowing the characters so well. It was such a well-oiled machine in that kind of way. Not to say that certain scenes didn't need to be finessed or, or finagled in some sort of way, but it really did feel like you could show up and put your best foot forward and everyone else was doing the same thing and voila, you've got, you've got a show. Uh, but with, with a lot of other things, it's, it's different. Every, not to say that other things aren't fantastic, but you just, it's a different process and, and sometimes it takes a little bit more, um, digging to, to get to the sort of core of what the, what the scene means. Not everything's Mad Men. I think something that's interesting is I feel like in a lot of the shows you've done, you've been like the primary or only young person on a show. And mm-hmm. I, that would strike me as isolating, generally speaking. I'm sure a lot of your like schooling was done on your own, et cetera. Did you have to yes. go to, through specific measures to make sure you like knew other people your age? I, it was an active pursuit. It was an active <laughs> pursuit to find people my age, but I think because I was so adamant about having friends that were in my age range, I actually, I made it happen in a way that felt like I chose my friends and it was authentic instead of, I didn't go to a traditional school. So it was all through extracurricular things. So I never felt like I fell into a friend group that I didn't like. I kind of, kind of hung out with all the people that truly made me happy and, uh, no, I did it. I, Matt Weiner, who created Mad Men, he had sons that were close to my age. And, um, one of them threw a party when he was out of town when I was maybe 14. And I went and the cops busted it. And I was like at my boss's house. <laughs> <laughs> and the cops were busting his party. And it truly felt like that was a, that was a portrait of, of my, my life at the time was going to high school parties, but at your boss's house <laughs> while he's out of town. <laughs> Congrats. In a bush, going, diving in a bush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's been so long since Mad Men now, you know? Like, I, I remember all of the chatter after the show was ending was, first of all, it's amazing that you became, like, you were just like Don Draper's daughter on the show, and then you essentially became, like, one of the main characters within, like, the last <laughs> couple seasons. Uh, I feel like that's why so many people were just sort of like, we want this show to keep going, you know? We want to see what Sally's doing, like, after yeah. this. Like, what were your feelings about that then? I assume you probably were just like, I would like to do something new. And what are your feelings about, like, even revisiting that world now? Or do you think about, like, what your character's up to? Like, does the character get that seeped into your brain where you're, like, wondering what Sally Draper's doing, you know, like now? For sure, for sure. I think when it ended, I wanted to 
remove myself from not remove myself from it, but step away and, and find new things and, and figure out who I was as a person. And I think I knew I needed time, but now I'm ready. I'm ready to see her again. I'm ready to see what she's up to. I feel like I have so many ideas for what she would be doing. And obviously the way I'm so curious to see how, um, how affected she, she would be by the way she was raised because we, we sort of, we sort of left her at a very interesting point in her life where I think things would have just started to have really shifted and, and to see her maybe in her mid twenties doing whatever she would be doing is extraordinarily appealing to me. Truly a wild upbringing. <laughs> she would be, yeah, she had a, yeah, she, and I think she would be letting loose. Yeah. I think she would For not months. be well. I don't <laughs> think she would be well at all, but in a good way, in a fun way. All right. I'm, I'm waiting for like better call Sally. To yes. have Sally, let's yeah. go. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready. Glenn can come back. It can be. Oh my God. Glenn. I mean, the, Glenn. The, the, the hair scene. Oh my God. From, uh, oh my God. With, uh, January Jones. Unforgettable. Unforgettable. Gosh. Um, now, do you, have, do you have a favorite character on Mad Men that you never got to interact with? Because I think that's also a show where like, yeah. you, you were basically, you know, part of this family. So you didn't get to like go to Sterling Cooper Draper Price at all. I know. I had maybe two or I maybe two or three office visit episodes and those were that was like candy to me. That was the most fun because I got to have these tiny little interactions with people that I never interacted with. It almost felt like I was doing a crossover because (laughs) it was like a different show. Uh I'm, I'm a, I mean, I'm a Peggy Olsen stan. Of course. Through, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like Peggy and Sally would, would get coffee and would have a great, great time together. I, I mean, I, oh gosh, everyone in the office, I, Pete Campbell, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I mean, I think that would be so funny to see them interact together. Joan, Joan was probably one of my favorite characters though. Oh, duh, mm, duh. I'm a Absolutely. Joan girl. Mm. A, a couple. I said before, it's crazy to me that Vincent Carthizer never got a uh, an Emmy nomination because he is the def- that character is the definitive douchebag in the history of television. Genius, Vinny K, the best. He's, he's <laughs> I love him so much. My friend is randomly extraordinarily obsessed with uh, Vincent Carthizer, and uh, I asked him a year ago, maybe it was two years ago. I it was her birthday, and I said, "Hey, Vinny." I hope you're well. My friend is a huge fan. Would you mind maybe, I don't know, making her like a tiny little video? He sent like a two minute voice note that is <laughs> truly out of this world. He's, <laughs> he's wonderful. We need, we need more of him in this world, I think. He seems like a genuine kook too, which I fucking yeah. love. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely eccentric. Nobody's, yeah. nobody's like legitimately weird anymore. I crave these. I, I know. I fell in love with him on Angel weird. too. Uh, yeah. I fell in love with him on Angel, which I feel like, you know, yeah. like, you know, he, he had the most controversial storyline on that show. Um, and so people were yeah. happy to love him on Mad Men, but yeah, great character, great actor. That receding uh, hairline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He would shave it. He would shave it. He committed to the bit. Wow. Oh, I hope his hair grew mm-hmm. back. I know. Me too. I should check in on him. <laughs> Send him some Viviscal or whatever kind of supplements are on the market these days. Uh, well, it's so nice to talk to you, Karen. It's a pleasure. A pleasure. Yeah. This, um, we all have to go to San Vicente Bungalows in Los Angeles when, when everyone's in the same place. <laughs>
I would love I'll, to. I'll get a rye martini, whatever. I've been there one time. It was lovely. Anyway. You've been there one right. time. It's really a fixture. Yeah. For our listeners, Kira and I are both friends with Sam Lasky, who's been on Keep It, by the way. He has. Uh, oh, he right. has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, he loves, um, loves a dinner, loves a lunch at the same <laughs> bungalow. He loves that place. <laughs> we all do. It's where we exist, mostly. Who's, th- who's like one of the most interesting people you've seen there? Oh my gosh. I mean, I feel like everyone that goes there is, is, I feel like Tower Bar is actually where more of the sightings are mm. these days, mm. though, yes. in LA. SVB, SVB kind of has the rotation of regular people that you mm-hmm. see and, and it's, actors are, are kind of around and, and Tower Bar is like around. the, that's like the Tower Holland Taylor some, joint. There's some, there's some wild cars. I feel like you get a very, a very pop star energy at, at Tower Bar. Um, it's like, uh, it's like Dylan McDermott and Dua Lipa. Like there's, 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 there's a broad spectrum a dream that's team. always existing at Tower Bar that I kind of live for. Like it's always so broad. <laughs> it makes me so happy. I believe that's the only place I've ever had baked Alaska either, which by the way, Ooh. recommended. Yeah. I love a meringue. Yes. <laughs> a torched meringue? Yeah, yeah even torch. Better. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dessert should be on fire. Yes. I think so. I think so. Uh, I think well, so. now I've got to go to Tower Bar so I can make Dylan McDermott and Dua Lipa star. I swear to God, a sweet charity remake. I'd love yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It's Keep It. And I got a little bone to pick with some of you bitches. Pick those oh. bones. I thought you were. I thought you were referring to me. No, I was I'm like, talking about our I'm, listeners. I'm right here. I'm, I'm on the show I'm with you. Our listeners, you bitches. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> but only the ones who felt the need to try and DM me or tag me and be like, um, "I guess I was just gonna flirt with Alexander Skarsgård this whole interview, huh?" I guess he I want to say he started it. all right from the jump i brought up running into him at the 2016 uh like um mtv movie awards and he was like oh the one he was like was i wearing any pants then that's when i presented without pants and i'm like sir what are you and yet you didn't bring up passing so you're dead to me yeah you know what i actually forgot to bring up i forgot to bring up the story about him um almost hitting uh greta Thunberg with his bike (laughs) Which is what Norseman on Norseman crime? Yeah, just yeah. just Viking and almost ran into her because you know I mean you know they all be hanging out. The Viking Vikings, oh no! Mm-hmm. They all be hanging out, you know, like uh, like in Smurfland or whatever. Are, mm-hmm. are the Smurfs? Right. Are the Smurfs like um, Belgian? Scandinavian they're, 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 for sure. Yeah, they're not Scandinavian. They're Belgian. Blue yes, from the uh-huh. lack of. Why sun? do you know yeah. that? Uh. I asked that about most things I know, but uh, yeah, Wait. Belgian, just like their cousin Tintin. You're telling the truth. You're not joking. Yeah, they're Belgian. Okay, <laughs> I will say there's there, the one thing I love. Um, well, before they started to have, before they started to sell them in the U.S., the one thing I loved about like going over to Europe all the time was seeing like the Smurf Harry Bow. You would only see the, that, you, the like candy. the Harry Bow, like the Harry Bow gummy bears. 
Like, oh, right, right, right. Like, uh-huh. they, they would, you would only used to see the Smurf ones, like, in Europe. Um, but now they sell them here in, like, specialty stores. But they have <laughs> so many different flavors of Haribo gummies in Europe. It is <sighs> beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, okay. It's beautiful. We can talk about okay. the implications of Gargamel as a character some other time. Anyway, well, Gar- what's well, your Gar- keep it? Gargamel lost the election in France. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Uh, Louis, we're going to start with your keep it first. I think Aida has to go last this week. That's true. That's true. Okay. Okay. Um, my keep it is Twitter related and I have the feeling, uh, the conversation won't end about Twitter after I'm done with my keep it, but <laughs> it's regarding, a, a a conversation about Steve Martin's famous King Tut sketch from late seventies SNL, mm, which very I believe relevant. some Gen Z are, yes, right, right, uh, Tip of everybody's tongue. Everybody wants that <laughs> Lord Carnarvon, Howard Carter humor. Um, so, okay, I guess the deal is people from Gen Z discovered this sketch and found it pretty hokey and unfunny. And at the time, it was basically a sensation. Like almost everything Steve Martin did, people were just fucking obsessed with it at the time. Here's the thing. Okay, they're right. It is not that funny. I mean, I just, it's, it's him dancing like King Tut and pointing around and being silly. I get that it's like not laden with brilliant humor. But at the same time, if you're going to post that clip, you also have to post, first of all, the introduction to the clip, which he begins in a very kind of serious, earnest way that leads into the silliness. So there's like a little bit of a preamble. Secondly, you have to understand at the time, the news cycle around King Tut was basically unthinkably sensational. We would not have anything like this now. This There was this tour of this museum exhibit where King Tut's remains were shipped everywhere, and people were obsessed with it. They couldn't believe they got to, like, experience ancient Egypt at all, let alone King Tut. Mm-hmm. And so to be really irreverent about this kind of solemnly amazing moment was, I think, really novel to people at the time. And also, I think what Steve Martin once was in the comedy world is kind of lost to current audiences. We know him as like a lightly sarcastic, relatable dad type. But at the time, he was so goofy in an unexpected way. He's like a former like Six Flags banjo performer or something, Disneyland (laughs) banjo performer. And people were just blown away at his kind of mix of silliness and like fun self-absorption. So I think you had to be also wrapped up in who he was at the time. Anyway. Wrapped up. Yeah, it's wrapped up. <laughs> now he's just Selena Gomez's co-star. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> By the way, a lot of people keep saying about her, they're like, oh, she's going to get that nomination this year. I'm like, guys, are you sure? I never even think about her on that show, but moving on. I told um, you that I prefer her comedy stylings and acting, and I think she's actually like really fucking funny, like on Wizards of Waverly Place. They actually didn't give her anything to do in season one of Only Murders in the Building, and I hope that changes yeah. with season two. There's plenty about 70s SNL that does not hold up. And I hope this leads to further conversations about the fucking Blues Brothers or the fucking bee costumes that are not funny at all. Or the even samurai? When Gilda Re- yeah, what? The samurai is just somebody being loud? It's mm-hmm. so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would I would say... Samurai delicatessen, <laughs> look them all up, yeah. It's wild that you reminded me of like how um, King Tut had a chokehold on yeah. us when we were young. Maybe you missed some of this, Aida. 
Um, but I, I feel did, like- I did miss, miss it, but I did recently also discover the Bengals song, Walk Like an Egyptian. <laughs> I was like, what were y'all got, what were y'all doing? Yeah. <laughs> what was going on that you needed that dance? Mm, maybe this is, maybe this, maybe this is like anti-blackness. Um, but like, I feel like in the nineties, uh, specifically like when kids were learning about, black kids were learning about King Tut and the Egyptians and shit, mm-hmm. you know, like everyone like was like, you know, like, oh, are we all descended from, like, King Tut and the Egyptians? And everyone sort of wanted to claim, like, an ancestry as, like, Egyptian um, rather than, like, anywhere else in Africa. You know, I did a whole mm. book yeah. report. I did a whole school report in third grade uh, about being from Egypt. Third grade, good guess. Because because like our teacher, <laughs> our teacher had everyone do like a report on their heritage, and people were doing reports on like Vikings, you know, and, like the Scandinavians, and you know, like Germany, but somehow leaving out the Nazi shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, you know what, I I came, you know, from the pyramids. <laughs> I was More there. Like, I, I was working in the field. I don't think so, Marshall. <laughs> no. <laughs> no one called me out on it. <laughs> well here i am now consider you called okay uh that was before 23 and me lewis okay black people just did not know that's true okay that's true either that was the beginning either you were descended from a slave american or mm-hmm. the actual pharaoh <laughs> so you sound like a real historian right now <laughs> you clear that up for everybody egyptology kid uh, <laughs> birds watch you. out <laughs> uh, All right, Ira, what's your keep it? My keep it this week goes to Christine Quinn on Selling Sunset. Now, oh, that's a TV mm-hmm. show. Christine, Selling Sunset is back. Uh, it's everyone's favorite Netflix show where absolutely nothing happens. Uh, <laughs> but uh, these blonde women are so... Uh, captivating and so funny unintentionally and sometimes funny intentionally um you know we, we've had the lovely Chriselle on the show um unfortunately um i do have to fast forward most of her scenes this season um because she is um rubbing um the head of jason one of the um owners yeah we are one of the owners of the oppenheim groups um, head a bit too much. They're dating this season, but we also already know that they've already broken up, uh, in real life. Mm. So watching. That's so annoying. I'm I know. a reality show knowing what, what will happen. That's the, so the annoying. Actual reality. Yeah. 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 It's like, okay, like with Netflix, I don't need all this. Keep it moving. Um, but let me tell you something about Christine Quinn. She is the purported villain of the show you know like she, everyone's always talking about how like she's so fashionable she should be on real housewives of beverly hills like she, just because like she's she's basically a bitch to everybody and she is an awful television villain and i need people mm. to know that she is awful as a tv villain first of all the fashions aren't that great she just wears labels she just walks around in labels mm-hmm. and like designer bags and like there's no rhyme or reason to what she's wearing. So like the, the styling isn't even there. Like it's just, it's, it's sort of like worse than like when Erica Jane used to walk around like looking like a, um, you know, looking like a Barbie, um, that fell like off a Mattel truck, you know? So like this <laughs> is really bad fashion and it's also. She really is just like a miserable, rude person to everyone that she works with. And the problem with that is this isn't Bravo. 
Like, you're not going toe-to-toe with, like, Kenya Moore, NeNe Leakes, you know, like, you're not fighting with Erica Jane, you know, and Lisa Rinna. Like, you, the, like, these women are, are timid and, like, sweet and, like, don't want that kind of confrontation. Like, if you call someone a mm. bitch, they're not gonna give you that, they're not gonna Leap keep, up. they're not gonna keep yeah. that same energy. And this is season five of the show. And at mm-hmm. this point, if you're gonna be the Girl, villain of the you. show, um, <laughs> You got to switch up the energy because what's actually happened is like nobody wants to film with her ass. And so like mm-hmm. you're just on an island. Um, and so you're not actually villainizing anybody. You're just sort of making people uncomfortable. And when she does make people uncomfortable, she just sort of like makes up stories and like tries to be a victim and cries about it. And like, well, like she flees an event this season because people are sort of like ruining her work event, quote unquote, ruining her work event. Okay. This event that's being taped for TV. It wasn't a real work event girl. Uh, and she's like, goes downstairs. She's crying and she's like, uh, I just felt like I wish like you could all be professional. I'm like, okay, it's not professional like selling stories about um your coworkers to the tabloids either, girl. So which is it? Are you gonna be a villain yes. or are you gonna be a victim? That's the part mm. that's always lost on me is where's Oppenheimer HR? <laughs> where they at? Because, <laughs> because these are your coworkers. These are the people you're supposed to be making money with. Sometimes against. I mean, they are real estate agents, but it's like you guys work together. You can't burn all these bridges all the way down. Right. And then they talk about getting rid of or firing her. I'm like, okay, there's plenty of people on the show who have not even sold the damn house in five seasons. So Mm-mm-mm. what are we doing here? I not do want office space. I do want to say I'm obsessed with the new girl on the show, the first black girl, Chelsea, uh, who is British, Nigerian. Um, her accent is giving Anna Delvey. Oh, we love that. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so there's some Bjork in it, too. Uh, so I, I, I the insist money is that, coming. Uh, the wire is coming. I promise. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we never talked about that show, but what an awful TV show. Anyway, Aida, what's your keep it? <laughs> okay, guys. This is a, this is perfect for a potentially final keep it because Twitter is my home, my breeding grounds, and where I handle all my dirtiest work. And I will now be I back. Feel like I, you will be back because free speech is up. Mr. Yes, Daddy Musk okay. is going to free you. All right. Me, me and the free thinkers <laughs> will yes. be returning to the app, okay? Alas, democracy. We're I've been having a lot of fun on the Truth app, but it's time to come back. <laughs> that's, so that's my that's my keep it uh, my keep it is the Twitter being bought by Elon Musk so we off Twitter we so, not tweet this is a no solid more. keep it yeah it is Elon Musk bought Twitter on Monday for 44 billion dollars which might seem like a lot of money but remember Tesla is worth a trillion dollars and SpaceX is worth a hundred billion so this is still kind of chump change and I him. owe Sally Mae 600 billion so <laughs> right and they will never be getting it. <laughs> they sure won't. <laughs> Look, I'm not prepared for a world where Elon Musk owns the place where I make pussy jokes. Okay, I'm not prepared for a world where Grimes is going to consolidate all of our Twitter typos and name her next alien baby. Like that, no, you don't get that for free, honey. You don't get that for free. I'm, I don't want to live there. In buying Twitter, so Elon has been so critical of Twitter in the past, even though that little hoe can't stay off it. He can't stay off it. He said... 
Let me find this quote. He said, free speech is the bedrock of democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. Mm, uh, it better not be. Right. What matters uh, are those? Nicki Minaj's, those? Nicki Minaj's <laughs> verse on bedrock is the bedrock of our community. First <laughs> of all. Of Put that <laughs> pussy on his sideburns. Okay. That's <laughs> Coming exactly, off the top that's what we talk as about bestest. Exactly. <laughs> What do we talk about on Twitter? We talk about Kali Uchis in a Mugler suit. Do we like it? Sean <laughs> Mendez. Oh, he's sad now. Are we okay with that? <laughs> Those videos. You guys keep calling Sydney Sweeney ugly on Twitter. Leave that girl alone. That's what we talk about on Twitter. Nobody's opinions are being changed on that app. This is not fucking Athens. It's social media. Like the way, the way Elon Musk and People of the, like the free speech libertarian, like we make money and that's all we do. Hyper capitalists. They think that the internet is a world where like actual dialogue can happen, insightful dialogue. Girl, nothing is happening on Twitter. Nothing is happening on Twitter like that. Also, can I just say I'm a lot of people have been dragging old Elon Musk tweets that are like bad jokes, whatever. And it just hurts the soul to realize that someone that fucking powerful is still obsessed with being funny. Like it's, it's yes. like, so like, it's not your job. And yet it's, there's something about being like a straight man and people being like wrapped up and how, how funny they think you are. That's like super attractive. It just, it, it's like sad to me. It's like, mm-hmm. you, you, you need this weird validation and that's a part of your obsession with Twitter. Cause by the way, historically Elon Musk has said things like if, if the UN outlines a world or a, a a plan to end world hunger that costs this amount of money, I'll pay for it. And they did it. And then he went and not, and then didn't pay for it. it. And then went and bought Twitter instead. So he's just this weird juvenile, you know, Marvin the Martian type, uh, wily coyote <laughs> asshole who could be doing a lot more with the money he's, and in fact has threatened to do a lot more with the money he has and is instead just buying Twitter. But I just want to say about Twitter in general that Aida does fabulous work on it. And I know we think of her as like, you know, uh, shall we say a, 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 an envelope pushing, you know, vulgar comedian, but there's a tweet of hers that I want to read here <laughs> that I think puts into perspective, you know, the soul of Aida. I hope we can enjoy it together. I'm shaking in my little boots. Here we go. You got to pinch the clit and suck it like a blunt roach. That's so yes. nice. <laughs> so Sex education. I'm putting it on a pillow. I'm laying down on it. You thought I was going to give you an inspirational Aida quote? Come on. You know, I, thought, I really have thought over, I was like, over time I'll age and mature into like a poetic understanding of self that will translate to my Twitter. But it's still just shit like that. And I'm going to be 20. I'm going to be 25 in July. <laughs> okay. It's not going away. Um, also, I just want to say that Aida is also the queen of lowercase Twitter. There's there's something about like the way people abuse lowercase that yeah. I can find over, over overdone, but I, it's you speak in lowercase in a way. It's like very it works. it's very E. Yeah. e. Cummings of me. Emphasis yeah. on the Cummings. Let's go, baby. What's wrong with her? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's this weird breed of like smart but stupid, right? Can we agree? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then lastly, lastly, I just want to say I don't I don't know what his impetus for doing this is, and that's what scares me is because like Twitter is not a very profitable place as an app. There's only 400 million people on Twitter. And 200 of them are Russian bots. So I don't know what he's going to accomplish. He wants to clean that out and make this a safe space for us. And my just, I don't, I, I fear, I fear that people like Donald Trump and Ira will be invited back onto the app. And that is not a world we need. 
It's so, truly not. Listen, I mean, I give in to the joke uh, about like returning back to Twitter, but like my life has been great since I love Twitter. I want to go back. Political chaos, Ira. Yeah, I you actually, are I na- like somebody did, who should not be on that. Yeah, I, I actually did cause political misinformation. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. If I'm allowed to come back, what's next? Right. My heart goes out to the employees of Twitter that have now worked for Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk. You are a statesman. You are a patriot. <laughs> and I feel for you. Um, I want to close this out with um, two of my favorite Aida quotes on Twitter. Oh, here we go. God, guys, uh, why are we doing this? I'm trying to At this <laughs> point, I think Kevin Hart just wants dick. <laughs> what? Aida <laughs> shocked at her own tweet. And, and my my absolute favorite, don't burp after you suck dick and then swallow. That's why we got ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, it's, it feels kind of ghost for me to be laughing, but I really dissociate. I tweet it and I, I don't know who did it. That really is just an who astounding that? tweet. <laughs> That's why we the got ghosts. of friends who sent me that tweet. I, the, to find my favorite uh, Aida tweets, all I had to do was go into iMessage and search Aida. Because people always send me your tweets. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, well, oh guys, we did it. We did our final uh, keep it together. Watch me be like, can I guess co-host next week? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, also, you d- you really have like made your mark on this show. Uh, we're really going to miss you. And, um, we're also letting our listeners know we're, we're not doing the, um, guest host merry-go-round sweepstakes, sweepstakes yeah. anymore. <laughs> you know, keep it. We'll just become, keep it with Ira and Lewis. Um, after this, uh, how could we possibly replace you? Stop. We, Stop. Sincerely, yeah. it, it would feel contrived. You are uh, one of a kind and radical. And also, the amount of questions I get about you, just from people on the street being like, "What's up with her?" And, I'm, and the answer is always everything. And it's a thrill <laughs> that everything is happening to you everywhere, all at once, <laughs> all at once. <laughs> everything, everywhere. I need it at once. Daniel, the third Daniel. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. This has been a blast and amazing. I want to say two something years of my life and I love you dearly. I will support your career and be around for every moment of it. And just thank you. And also rap shit premieres. I have to plug now. I have to be one of those girls. Hey. Rap shit <laughs> premieres in July. And of course, you, you guys hopefully will be at the premiere right there with me. So we'll see. Duh. Listen, we'll see. If, if, if there's one thing I associate with rap shit, it's Louis Fertel. Yes, oh, exactly. Okay. The shit you know my favorite rapper is Madonna. Madonna. <laughs> I, I got a lawyer and a manager, an agent and a chef. And a, and a chef. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that is our episode. Thank you to Ken and Shipka for joining us this week. Uh, and next week we will be back with more. Keep it with Ira and Lewis. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nara Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for our production support every week. 